You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and, of course, Robin. It's, I've been out of, uh, it sounds weird now to not say, whom is celebrating 75 years? Although, technically, a little peek behind the curtain, this is still 2015. It is actually New Year's Eve on 2015. And uh, I got a text message from Terrence the other day, and he's like, hey, I have tomorrow off. Do you want to get in a episode of Everyone Loves the Drake early? So uh, for you guys listening at home, it is uh, 2016, so Happy New Year. But for us, we haven't celebrated the New Year yet. Uh, Terrence, how are you doing today, sir? Yeah, doing good. I guess it is 2016 and maybe Australia and some other places, but right here in North America, we're still in 2015, so we yeah. can still celebrate Robin's 75th for a few more hours. <laughs> a few more hours, yes, definitely. Um, uh, it probably goes without saying we are back, uh, hopefully on track here, going picking back up with the Nightfall Saga. Uh, the last episode that Terrence and I recorded has not dropped yet officially. So that was our New Year's Eve episode, and it's a rather long episode because I added in some other people that I kind of reached out to. So I'm sure by now you've already heard that, and it's like, Rob, let's just move the show along. So uh, I, I did want to tell you, Terrence, I did pick up uh, some more uh, Batman versus Superman merchandise, and it's really kind of cool amongst all of the Star Wars stuff that's kind of coming out to see Batman versus Superman, and that kind of gets me excited going, wow, this is pretty cool, like in... Uh, basically three months we will be seeing and watching the first uh, cinematic uh, portrayal of Batman and Superman together on screen. So uh, I'm excited for that. I got uh, You won't be able to see it. I'll post it on the Everyone Loves a Drake Facebook page. But they're called Metal Mini Diecast Figures. And uh, Batman is about half the size of a paperweight, or a paperweight, um, a uh, pop can, if you will. But he, he is as heavy as a paperweight. If I chuck this at you... Um, I'd probably have to write a note to your mother saying I'm sorry <laughs> for giving you a block. These things are actually really pretty cool. They were uh, 10 bucks. The merchandise is starting to come out in Toys R Us uh, right now, and I think uh, I've seen some pictures online of people taking photos of like Walmart. So uh, pretty soon you're, you won't be able to go anywhere and not see the Batman versus Superman logo. And I ended up also picking up today the Batman uh, versus Superman armored uh, Batman figure, which looks pretty cool. And the odd thing... 
you collect the whole entire wave, and you can put together uh, Batman's grapnel gun, which is kind of odd. They will include that. Like you get like uh, eight little pieces, and you can make a life-size prop replica out of plastic, but still. So that's a, a an odd little gimmick. Normally, with an action figure, you get pieces to build like another action figure like maybe doomsday or something like that so i actually kind of like that better because when you look at the packaging um some of those things it's kind of weird to see a figure and then like just a random leg or (laughs) arm in it i think seeing like a piece of a gun or a piece of equipment might like um kind of make people want to we'll get a little more than like oh i get a random leg with this figure here (laughs) right uh, yeah, I know um, I collect the uh, Funko Pop figures, and someone just released online uh, some pictures of some of the Batman v Superman uh, coming out. I think they're coming out with the Wonder Woman. They're coming out with the uh, trench coat Batman and yep. stuff, so it, it looks pretty awesome. Neat. Um, I would ask you how your New Year's Eve was, but or your New Year's was. Did you stay up and see the ball drop? But I know you haven't done that yet. But uh, yeah, well, the last few years, that's all I've done is just kind of stay home, watch TV, and kind of watch the ball drop. And uh, so probably it's the same as same as ever. Um, the uh, I had a question for you though, because yeah. I, I was looking at our Facebook page, and we've got a follower. I forget their name, but they have like a Tim Drake uh, fan. Um, Facebook page, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know. Do you know who that is, or is Ashley that... Crook? Uh, okay, that's sir? Ashley. I've seen him before. Yep. Yeah, yeah. His is, is pretty cool, and he. Had, I was looking at some pictures, and my question for you is, which uh, of the Red Robin costumes do you like better? Do you like the the pre fifty two one in the the Red Robin series, or do you like his new um, the new fifty two Red Robin suit better? And then I, I'll I'll tell you what. I had a little thought about them, but I wanted to hear your answer first. Um, that's tough. Uh, before the new 52 started, I couldn't stand the current Red Robin costume. It just looked really busy. But now that we're five years into uh, the new uh, 52 or the new continuity, I actually really kind of like this a little bit more. Um, it seems like this is more... This is more Tim's suit. It's not something that Dick Grayson wore in Kingdom Come. And then I forget who wore it briefly that Tim had to fight in the comic series. And then he took it once he got kind of ousted as Robin. Although he did get an update with that. So the tunic was gone. But the, like, I think Alfred kind of sewed that part in. So it was more of a, like, a one body suit. So I'm, I'm torn. I, I like the current Red Robin costume that he doesn't have the cowl on, so he still looks like a Robin. Uh, but there was something cool about the cowl that it was more of a nod towards Batman than it was Robin. So uh, right now I'm looking at the action figure for the New 52 across the room, and I'm going to go with the new costume. I'm probably getting booed, but uh, that to me just looks like it's more Tim. Like He's always constantly prepared, so he's, he, I would think he would have all the pouches and straps and buckles and could figure out different ways to to do stuff. So that's that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, see, I, the the pre fifty two, I never liked the cowl that much because, and I forget who it was. There's like one or two guys in Justice Society of America that kind of looks like that, and yeah, the cowl always seemed off for Tim Drake. So I I would thought it would be cool if they could come out with some kind of like uh, combination where like. The it's a little bit more like his co- costume from the pre fifty two. I like that red robin symbol like in yes. the chest. 
Um, and I liked how the, the shirt kind of, um, was longer than the belt and overhung a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was cool. But if you could have like the domino mask and maybe a little bit of the, like the armbands and stuff from the new 52 and even throw in the hood from the video game, I, I like the hood. <laughs> yeah. I, that would be like my perfect version of it. But I, I was looking at those on the Facebook page and I was like, you know, neither one I'm like 100% happy with, but if they could combine the two, I think it'd be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Brett Booth is responsible for designing uh, the uh, most of the Titans. He was the first one on that series. Um, I think Jim Lee probably oversaw some of them, and I think the mandate was, you know, make them, you know, they wanted to update a lot of the costumes, but with some of them, they really altered them. Um, and sometimes I like the glider cape, but I think I would just prefer more of a cape as opposed to one with wings, but I'm kind of this far along, and it's it's okay. It's not as striking, but yeah, a combination of the two would be really, really pretty cool. I have another random, totally random question for you. Shoot. I'm, I'm sure you were not expecting to answer this on a Friday, <laughs> but uh, so we had off, and I have not watched Arrow and Flash like all season, so wow. the girls and I have been binge-watching it the last couple days, so we're, we're almost caught up. We've finished the Flash up to the mid, uh, mid-season finale, and we got one more Arrow to go. But um, I was listening to Fat Man on Batman with, uh, I think it's Andrew Kreisberg. Yep, yeah. I just finished that. Yeah, really good, um, really good podcast. But they were talking about the Teen Titans and and um, you know the the run with like Wolfman um, and just how like major that was and um, and it was weird because they're you know. Kevin Smith, I think, is about four or five years older than us. Yeah. And he's talked again, and I've seen on um, Comic Book Men, they've talked about how the Teen Titans was such a major book and so important, and they all loved it so much. And I never got into the Teen Titans. Like, I completely no. missed it. And even, it's just like a four or five year thing, but it just, I, I never got it, never got into it, never saw it. It, and it was kind of, wasn't very good in the, in the, 80s or late 80s and early ni- or 90s until uh, Jeff Johns took it over in the right. 2000s when it, it kind of came back again. And I was wondering, are you the same way? Did you just kind of miss out on the Teen Titans like me or is was it just me or is it an age thing? I I don't know if it was an age thing. I, I never bought any Teen Titans book. The closest I got was The Lonely Place of Dying. So those two issues are actually three issues that kind of make up that story. I think that training day issue with Tim and Dick happens a couple issues later. Uh, that, that was the only Titans book that I ever bought ever. Um, even though Robin was on the front cover and then later Nightwing, I, I just gravitated towards the Batman and Robin comics. And that was, that was about it. And I kept hearing, um, I didn't read Judas contract until two years ago. So I would hear people constantly talk about it and, I thought, well, it must be pretty good, but I didn't jump on the Titans bandwagon until the Jeff Johns run. So I don't, I don't think it was a Tim Drake thing. I just, maybe it is age. It just didn't call out to me uh, to read it. So um, I know now that they have collected uh, the Wolfman Perez run in uh, graphic novel form, and I've thought about picking up. I think it's three trades, maybe it's two trades, two or three trades. That I think they're about fifteen bucks a piece. And I thought about picking up all of them. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I just completely missed uh, missed it totally. Uh, you know, when I was started reading comics, uh, you know, with the death of Tim, um, with uh, Jason Todd, I think the Wolfman Perez run was kind of over or at yeah. its end. And just I don't know, never caught a trade paperback, or I didn't even realize 
what a big deal it was till only you know a few years ago and hearing other people talk about it who were kind of a few years older than uh, us um but it's funny cuz we're going to talk about nightfall today and you know there's people 20 years younger than us who talk about how great nightfall was and what a major thing was so i you know i don't know if teen titans was maybe just a little obscure or what but when i when i would pick up a book or two in the 90s or you know um it just it just seemed lost like they just were sometimes trying to be the x-men and trying to be this and there were too many characters to i just never could latch on to it and you know i'd pick it up look at it in the shelf put it back it just never never had that appeal um and there wasn't a Robin in it, so maybe that you know it, it was always just kind of like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, and I think I've kind of said that before with Nightwing. Um, I really didn't even know that that was Dick Grayson. I'd be lying and saying, oh, that I knew that was Dick. I can remember picking up a Titans book and going, well, Robin's the only one that I notice that I know is on the cover. Um, I didn't realize who Speedy was or Donna Troy or you know Gar. I, I was like, I don't know who this is, and I like Robin, but I don't think he's the – it's not going to be his solo book, so it may be this guy in a robot armor. I don't even know who the heck this guy is. Well, I think I knew that was Cyborg from the uh, uh, cartoon series. So Robin and Cyborg would have been the only two that I would have known. I was like, but Batman and the Joker are in this book with Robin, so I think I just went to that. And it's funny too, because some people who are a lot younger than us, who are like, you know, like 15 or 20 now, love the Teen Titans from the cartoon. And, yeah. you know, and I kind of missed the cartoon myself too, because it was a little too juvenile for <laughs> me when I was, I guess it came out when I was like in my late 20s, early 30s or so, and it just didn't, you know, right. connect. So, yeah, I feel this hole in my soul where the Teen Titans <laughs> should be. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've been recently picking up some, if I go through like a dollar bin, I'll see some of the Wolfman Perez. So I picked up a couple of them. Um, I have, I'm only missing one issue of the Judas Contract, and of course I'm missing the issue, which is the first reveal of Dick Grayson as Nightwing in the Judas Contract. So that book is always really kind of pricey, but I think I'll probably end up just getting it all in the trade. Yeah, it's weird. I thought I was the only one uh, that, you know, kind of missed out on the whole Titans thing. I felt like... I was forever the jump on the bandwagon once Tim Drake got involved with you know Young Justice, and then they eventually moved him over to Teen Titans uh, fully. I was like, oh, I like the Titans. And people would go, have you read the Wolfman Perez? And I was like, no. They're like, well, you don't know anything then. <laughs> yeah. Like, I could tell you about the Jeff Johns run. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like Terrence said, uh, today we're going back to Nightfall. Um, I've said it before previously on the show that if we decided to go through every single issue of the Nightfall series, we're going to be here for a while. And the main crux of this podcast is to eventually one day in 2020 get to the Robin ongoing series, <laughs> which we're going to get to here probably uh, rather pretty quickly. Uh, we're going to be looking at two books. We're going to take a one-issue jump. We're going to look at two Detective Comics books. Uh, we're looking at Detective Comics 661 and 662. We are skipping uh, Batman, which I is Batman 495, which is the Poison Ivy issue. Um, and like I said, I'm really trying to stick to issues that really kind of have to deal with Tim Drake. Although, thankfully, I have the radio audio drama here with us again. So those holes will be spliced in. And we'll probably talk about the issue as far as the Firefly stuff go, because it ends on a cliffhanger and then, 
you know, we'll get into it when we get there. So you'll you'll see how it goes here. So those are the two issues we're talking about today. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the 2016 version of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake, and welcome to the show. Come on, Robin, to the Batcave. We haven't one moment to lose. All right, we're going to forego the music on this episode that I usually throw in right here. Uh, the audio drama for these uh, two issues is a little uh, lengthy. It's about 10 minutes long, and I wanted to be able to uh, have you guys be able to listen to this. It, the audio drama kind of takes its cue from the novelization, and the novelization kind of rearranged some of the events. Uh, they don't exactly happen in the order they do in the comics, so you may hear a little bit of a difference if you're you know, reading along at home, or uh, you will also notice that things are omitted from this uh, as well. So just a, a little bit of a heads up. So um, I, I try to find the parts that actually deal with the issues that uh, we're going with. Uh, sometimes I'll cut and splice things out that you don't need, but this also kind of bleeds into uh, an issue that is skipped as well. So at least you're getting uh, basically the full story. But anyway, uh, the writing credits uh, for these two issues uh, come to us courtesy of Mike's Amazing World, and it's a great resource website. So uh, the uh, credits go as follows. Uh, for Detective Comics 661, uh, was published early June 1993. The on-street sale date is April 20th, 1993, and the cover price was $1.25. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. Uh, the story is entitled City on Fire. The page count is 22. The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Graham Nolan. Inker is Scott Hanna. The letter is... The letter is John Costanza. <laughs> a little Seinfeld there for you. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. Uh, this has been reprinted in uh, Batman Nightfall Part 1, Broken Bat, trade paperback that came out in 1983. And then the newest version was reprinted in 2012. And the next issue for this podcast is Batman, or excuse me, Detective Comics 662. And, uh, the credits for this one are this was released in late June 1993. On street sale date was May 4th, 1993. The cover price is the same. The editor is uh, Mr. O'Neill. The title is Burning Questions, and the writers Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan, Adrian, uh, Scott Hanna did the lettering, uh, John Costanza. Uh, excuse me, Scott Hanna did the inking letter is John Costanza and the colorist is Adrian Roy. And again, it's reprinted in just the same. So without further ado, here is the BBC production of Batman, the complete nightfall saga. Approaching St. Elmo's Pier, releasing drill brakes. Garfield Lynn's the Firefly loose in the city's oldest amusement park. Three acres of old wooden structures in the fire department on strike. At least you've included me in on this one. At least you'll have some help. You're not here to help, Rob. You're here to watch and learn. Mm -hmm. You're still in training. What? There he is. Firefly. <laughs> My flames. The beauty. Dance. Yes. Yes. Dance. <laughs> The heat is incredible. How are we going to get him down from the roller coaster track? Stay with the car. I don't like this. You don't have to. You barely escaped Killer Croc in that monster bay. Your luck can't hold forever. And yours can? Stand back while I fire the grass below. Batman, please! Welcome to my inferno, Batman! Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> Drop the flamethrower, Linz. Oh, no! I could never do that! Now that you're here! Ah! 
There's no way down from here except with me, Firefly. Oh, I have my own escape route. Thank you. Burn brightly now. Oh, keep smoldering. Batman, catch! What? Grab the line. Slide down. This is quite a training session for me. I hate to see what you look like. Lost. Lost the element of surprise. Lost the perpetrator. Could it be you're pushing too hard? I have to push hard. The police are in full stretch, and Gotham is going to hell at the hands of an army of maniacs led by Bane. So the best way to tackle this is to throw yourself after them? No time, no time. We have to react wherever they surface. But that's the exact opposite of everything you've taught me. All right. Firefly is yours, Robin. Do the footwork. Dig into the files back to the cave. Try and get a 20 on it. Doors open. You've got it, Batman. I'm going to talk to Gordon downtown, if there is a town left, with Firefly running loose. Let's go. So, that's a letter G, E, and an... Got it. A T. Riddler, we're wasting our time here. There. Police headquarters, Gotham City, urgent. I say so myself, nobody can make an extortion note a work of art like I can. Is that the holdup? We gotta send these cops some damn clue to the heist after we go through the trouble of organizing getaway cars, building plans, you name it? Yeah, after we try to keep it a secret. Crime is an art. It shouldn't be all drudgery. It demands flair. Wits. Flair? Don't give yourself a headache. Stand here, tie this letter to a brick and throw it through police headquarters window. You'll enjoy it. Oh, okay. Several called from Dr. Kim Solving while you were out, Master Bruce. Chandra, and you told her? That you were far too busy exhausting yourself gallivanting about in a mask and boots to speak to her. Very funny. Is there anything to eat? I need some breakfast. You also need 16 hours sleep, a three-month vacation, a blood transfusion, and full psychiatric examination. Alfred? And uh, where is Master Tim this fine afternoon? At home, I hope. Using his computer skills to run down a little background for me. Email to Cave Computer. Urgent message to Batman from Robin. Security scramble code three. Tim, you in your room? Yes, Dad. Quick, quick, quick. Garfield Lenz, Firefly, adopted at birth. No living relatives. And, digging deep into this early stuff, before his career in pyrotechnics even began, there's two places he's been fixated on since he was a kid. His adoptive parents refused for some reason to take him there. The first was St. Elmo's Pier. The second, Gotham City Zoo. Tim? Track this wheelchair. Second. Here, Dad. Let me help. No, no. I gotta get used to this thing. Dr. Kinsolving said it'd become second nature, but I don't know. Maybe I should see a regular doctor after all. I thought you said she was good. You recommended her to Bruce. He seems to think highly of her. How is Bruce? I must pay a neighborly visit sometime. Although he's a busy man running around the society pages with all those bimbos. Amazing his businesses stay afloat. Uh, he has people to handle a lot of that everyday stuff, I guess. Bane, do you read me? I read you, Bird. Tailed Batman to the city zoo. Somebody must have tipped him off about Firefly being here. Except the big guy's got trouble. He's in a fight with another Arkham escapee, and Firefly ain't even showed yet. Stay watching, Bird. I want a full report. Three years, Batman! Three years I have rotted in Arkham Asylum, planning your death! Just put the sword down, Cavalier, and nobody will get hurt. Hurt? Who are you, fool? I'm going to kill you! Ah! 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 
Get out, Riddler! Oh, plan this job to a T. Everything ready to go, everything in place. But do we make our move? No. We gotta wait till you send out your stupid riddle. Yeah, so we're pulling this job tonight. And if it has to be over your dead body, then that's how it's gonna be. Ah, oh, you'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. It's my crime. Mine. <laughs> Just because the cops ignored the riddle, they were too busy to read it. But I'll take my puzzles to the masses. You'll see. <laughs> Drop the sword, Cavalier. First blood to me! Ha-ha! Defend yourself, Batman! You face an expert swordsman! Ha-ha-ha! You broke my nose, you can! A minor maniac, <laughs> but I even had trouble with him. And I came here to take Firefly down. You're getting to be a pest, Batman. Speak of the devil. Fascinating to watch you deal with that idiot. But let me tell you a thing or two. I'm not one of those Arkham inmates who obsessed over you day and night. In fact, I'll get along quite nicely without your interference. So I've decided to cremate you! <laughs> overwhelming. It saps my last reserve of strength, but I'm not burning. This time I came prepared. You've spoiled enough of my fun, Batman! Fifteen-layered Nomex and a rebreather don't give me the edge. Oh, but they, they let me survive. <laughs> you know, Scarecrow, I like the mayor's residence. I may even move in here permanently. Of course, a few things would have to change. Every once in a while, the mayor would have to stop screaming. Shut up! <laughs> Let me go, Joker! <laughs> a little more fear gas for the mayor, I think. Time for him to make another phone call. Absolutely. Now that we have the police department running around like headless chickens, it's time to lay our egg. So, Dr. Flanders, you say that these escapees are merely troubled children searching for meaning in their lives. Oh, yes, Cassie. As I state in my new book, I'm sane and so are you. Wow. These men this are guy's getting a lot of mileage from the Arkham breakout. Indeed, Martha. And he is... Some psychiatrist who thought he could cure everyone in the violent ward. A born optimist. Wait! That guy she's approaching in the audience. I see him. You have a question, sir? Actually, I have a number of questions. Here, take my coat. Huh? Riddler! And that's a detonator in his hand. What letters ever found in the alphabet? What does the ball bear like to be called at home? What travels around the world but never leaves its corner? Why was the letter down? Come on, Alfred. You're driving the van. That show airs live. No! Calls the mayor Crow and meet us here in the Mother Goose amusement park. The screaming's coming from the slot arcade, Bullock. Somebody's got him in there. Sounds like he's being tortured. Sounds like he's being murdered. Should I take a look? No. Send in the SWAT team. No. Pocket, go. Go boy and kiss and follow me. I don't like this. The Riddler hijacks a TV studio back in central Gotham, and we're lured into a situation we out here in Evanstown. Montoya's covering the Riddler commission, but he ain't got the only game in town. Batman's out chasing Firefly. Who knows which nut's pulling this job? Yeah, Gordon speaking. Commissioner Gordon, SWAT team safely in yet. Oh, my God. Get those men out of there! Too late, sucker! Yes! <laughs> Your best phone call so far, Mayor Crawl. Happy Scarecrow. I love the simple ones, Joker. <laughs> Good, because the best is yet to come. <laughs> 
this TV show is going out live, right, Cassie? Uh, yes. Yes, Riddler. Yes, Riddler. Good. I want to get a large audience, but having me on the show rigged with this bomb should win tonight's battle of the ratings, don't you think? I'm uh, reasonably certain. And your guest, Dr. Simpson Flanders, I've met before at Arkham Asylum. That's right, Eddie. <gasps> oh! And you've written a little book. Let's see. I'm sane and so are you. That's right, Eddie. Well, you couldn't have written it with me in mind. <laughs> Excuse me. Because I'm not sane and I never will be. Isn't that right, Doc? Uh, uh, and here's another one for the folks at home. What begins with a P and ends with an E and has thousands of letters in it. I cut to two. A camera three. Loosen that shot on Flanders. I want to cut to you the moment he throws up. We're three minutes to network three. commercial office. Sir Montoya, but Riddler says if cut we cut a picture from the studio, he'll release that button and turn Cassie into wallpaper. Yeah, that's why we can't use a marksman. He releases his grip. Back Boom. to three. Just keep going till the hostage negotiation. Uh -huh. Camera five, pan wide and swing left. Ah, oh, heck, I, I thought I saw that kid who's supposed to work with the Batman. The one that called Robin? Here in the TV studio? Yeah, a red top, black cape with a yellow lining. If Robin is here, where's Batman? Ah, Mad Hatter. Amygdala. So freak. Cavalier. And Firefly. Mostly second stringers. He nearly took me out. The really dangerous ones are still on the street. And beyond that, the one who planned all this. Who will stand between Gotham and Bane? Yes, Jim? Thank God. Batman, we're en route to Mayor Kroll's residence. Pretty sure Joker and the Scarecrow are holding him hostage, or worse. I'll be there. Any sign of Riddler? He made his move earlier. Hijacked a TV show. Montoya's on the scene. Thinks Robin's there. Robin. Up against Riddler alone. He's not ready. And I can't do a thing to him. Who's going to solve my riddle? A whole TV studio audience and none of you can take a guess? It begins with a P. It ends with an E. It's got thousands of letters in it. I should have picked another show to debut my crime on. Maybe a Rico Rivoli or a... Post office. It's got thousands of letters. <gasps> Robin? Oh, that does it. I'm releasing the button. You're all just... Oh, oh, what is this stuff? Oh, get it off my hand! Just a little fast-acting epoxy to keep that hand from relaxing, Riddler. <gasps> You're gonna want to bomb in the ratings, right? Yeah? Well, the gag's on you, kid! <laughs> this bomb's just a set of chair rails wrapped in electric tape! What? Oh, did I waste your time? Had to duck out of a hot date tonight? Thanks, Robin. <laughs> I got him covered now. Keep your hands in the air, Riddler. Come on, this way. Was this all a wild goose chase? Did I screw up? Batman's somewhere out there facing real danger. And I'm the victim of a classroom prank. All right, we just got back from the BBC radio audio drama. Um, I enjoyed doing this. Um, I think it's really pretty cool. Eventually, I may get to a point where I'll go back to doing the synopsis. But Terrence and I kind of cover the issues pretty well. So maybe to kind of save some time in the podcast, we may just talk through the book anyway so we'll see how the uh podcast goes if we end up kind of going page by page anyway then it's just a repeat of what i already did with the music score so maybe i'll just put a music score under us talking how about that <laughs> sounds good yeah very dramatic yeah. yes <laughs> so when you say something very interesting you'll hear dun 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 <laughs> yeah. um I, going back through uh the nightfall we'll start with uh 661 um I, I, I loved how the story was paced uh, in this and that we're introduced to uh, characters, you know, for the first time, I think, kind of what we said. 
But even though the book, the, the story kind of jumps a little bit, I don't ever feel like it's one huge major jump that completely takes me out of it that I go, how the heck do we get here to this location? It, did did it work for you the same way, or was I just reading this weird? I, I, I never felt like that I was jumping so much that I couldn't remember, like, oh, this was six issues ago. Okay, that's that thing. I really kind of felt like, at least in the very beginning of the Nightfall story, that it pretty much stayed on point from issue to issue that you were picking up the next beat that we just left off of. Yeah, no, I thought it was... Uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, I haven't read these books in like over 20 years, and I pulled them out this morning and read them about an hour ago, and I was amazed at how good they still are, how much everything, the writing, the art, the coloring um, is just so good. And yeah, I didn't feel that at all, and I didn't feel like it was – and it's just we you know only these two issues, but I didn't feel like I was getting hammered over the head with a recap of eight different issues or 12 different – you know, it was like yeah. – yeah, they, are. they were dropping like, um, you know, little facts and stuff that happened in the other issues, but it was kind of sporadic. It was kind of all over the place, uh, which it, 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 I like a lot better than like two or three pages in the beginning of just all recap. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed at how well these issues hold up 23, 24 years later. Uh, Graham Nolan's art, um, I, he's somebody I, I always enjoy his art, but it's not until, like I don't list on like my top favorite you know DC Comics artists. I don't think to put him in that list. And when I open up you know this book this morning uh, to read it again, I was like, this is really good. His pencil lines are great. His characters for everybody else has a very specific look. It's clean. And I go, he is one of my favorite artists that I constantly forget. That's the biggest compliment I can give him. Like your art is so good, it, it shouldn't be like oh it's easy forgotten. But it's it's very fresh every time, and it's not like oh that's that's a very 1990s you know art style right there. It's it's a rather timeless art style. Yeah, he's kind of like a um, a lineman on a football team, you know, like they're yeah. they're the unsung heroes. They're there on every play, you know. They're they're in the trenches. Uh, I mean, he he churned out a lot of books in the 90s, and they're all consistent. It's not like I'm looking. I'm like, oh, this one panel's amazing, but then oh, over here on this panel, you right. can see like it's like every panel is solid, um, and it's a good art style that fits with this like 1990s batman universe like it's a good blend of um a lot of the other artists like aparo and and uh munch and, and those guys oh no he was a writer munch right, I, yeah. I don't know i'm thinking uh, about Vogel probably Bray Fogel, yeah um and so it, it's really consistent and really good and then i i was just blown away too by the coloring and i know the coloring back in 93 when this came out or 92 when it was made is is uh you know there's been a lot of improvements and and such since then um but the coloring with the art and uh and hannah the inker i know nolan and hannah did a lot of work together they were like kind of a team so yeah i i, I like his batman it's kind of i don't know he's got kind of like thicker lines and he's kind of uh kind of a little bulky but not not so over over the top like ridiculous like steroid monster as some artists kind of drug guys but yet he's big and intimidating and you know you wouldn't want to mess with this guy he looks like he you know is like 6'4 240 kind of you probably played middle linebacker for the (laughs) chicago bears or something like that um but yet it doesn't it doesn't look ridiculously out of proportion no um i love the cover uh on the front like you were talking about the coloring you know firefly you know definitely plays into here uh, we know it's the Joker in the top center, and the Scarecrow 
is the left? Is that supposed to be Garfield Lens, or is that somebody else? I've thumbed through here, and I can't find a, a character in here that looks like that. I thought it was the Riddler, not because it looks like the Riddler oh. that much, but he's got the domino mask. I see it now. And he would be one of the big three that you'd put on the cover, although I don't you know there's it's such like a weird abstract the scarecrow you can tell obviously right but the joker and the riddler i don't think you would know that right away um from the cover per se but um still is an awesome cover yeah yeah it's got to be the riddler he's the only other main villain in here there is another villain when we get to him actually there's two villains uh but there's one other villain in here uh where harvey's dealing with it that i wanted to know if you knew who that was but we'll uh, we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, I thought it was a cool pairing of, I don't know if this has ever happened before in the comics, but a pairing of the Scarecrow and the Joker. Uh, what two polar opposite methodology, or ide- ideology, I guess is probably the better word, of the two, but they work so well together. Uh, Scarecrow is obviously based in fear. Joker's based in chaos, but has that fear element. And I was trying to go through my boxes, and I, ki- I couldn't find another issue where it's a Joker Scarecrow team up. I thought that would be not only terrifying, but just a really cool, you know, uh, terrible duo, if it were. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, it, I mean, the book starts out so awesome where you've got you don't know he's the mayor right away, but he's like chained up, and you just see the um, shadows of the Joker and Scarecrow on him. And then at first, I thought Scarecrow was holding like some kind of syringe or needle, and then you realize, oh, it's a phone. And then he, it's just a great way to open. And then I like the Joker, how he's like going over, you know, the, the, is a good way to kind of show like who they've been calling and creating chaos. And then <laughs> I love the Joker's just like, or should we call the airport and have him page Seymour Butts? Like, that's the Joker. Like, you yeah. know, he's just so crazy and chaotic that in the midst of all this, he would do a prank like that. And I think that's when the Joker works the best when he's just, you know, so, um, unpredictable like that. Um, this was my first introduction to, well, uh, before we get to Firefly, um, I, I had always remembered, like, I thought the Scarecrow used a skull to spray out the gas, and I thought that was only a Scooby-Doo type thing, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of cool to see the skull down here that he would use for the fear, to, or fear toxin. I always thought that was a neat little gimmick that he had. Um, I think in the animated series, it always came out of like his uh, hands or something like that. But I always thought the skull was a a neat little touch that you were kind of fixated on that, and that's where the the gas came out. Uh, had you read Firefly before Nightfall? Uh, this was my first introduction to the character. I don't think so. Uh, if if so, I, it didn't stick with me. Um, but I do love the character i think the character is awesome um he was used in the batman pretty well um and i think he what works really good about him he's got a cool look it's a um it's not some like crazy thing where he had to be bit by a radioactive spider or you know he's just a a guy who's an arsonist basically and just takes it over the top but i think i mean we're all kind of like love fire a little bit unless you've had like a really bad experience in your life but like we've all sat around a campfire and been kind of like mesmerized by it or just been like especially as a kid like wow or you know your birthday candles or something so i think we all especially me kind of get that little bit of like i can i can understand 
they appeal to fire or, or mesmerized by it. Um, and like just that thought of like, wow, just that little push to go over the edge from thinking, oh, a campfire is really cool to let's just burn stuff for fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think it's it's he's a more relatable character. Uh, the beats, uh, the thought balloons or the thought, thought squares, as I like to call them, are I thought this was it's not only for us, the reader, but it's also for Batman telling uh, Robin that he used to work in the movies an expert in pyrotechnics. And then his uh, pyromania just kind of uh, continues to go and go till it reaches the point. You know, he turned uh, arson in for a profit and then arson for pleasure. You know, this the uh, the cascade that he eventually would go through. So that was a cool history lesson for those of us that hadn't didn't really realize uh, who uh, Firefly was, and I, I thought he was a really cool uh, character. And you were talking about the coloring. The coloring in pages 5 through, jeez, um, how many pages is it? Uh, 5 through 8 are all done in this red and yellow uh, hue with the, um, at first I thought it was like Haley's Circus, but, you know, <laughs> there can only be, you know, one. Uh, but, you know, like the carnival or what I would call like Cedar Point for, me living in Ohio is on fire, and you can't see the silhouette and the flames uh, dancing off the faces of Batman and Robin. And I thought it was really cool. Um, I mean, I, I know you said you liked it, but I just I thought this was just colored just very very well, and also for a '90s book. Yeah, and if you look, they're not using um, a lot of different colors. It's not like there's all these, you know, they're they're bombarding you with all these different shades and colors. He's just using just a few orange and yellows, but it's it's really really it works really really well and it's really good. And I've always wondered this: just how many abandoned amusement parks does Gotham City have? <laughs> like they they must lead the world per capita of you know just abandoned. You know, I don't know, but uh, it, it's a good backdrop. Yeah, and you said that too. Like the. Everything that Firefly is doing is abandoned. There's an abandoned movie theater later that – well, actually, I think it's a furniture store. So you've got to think if you're the GCPD, the first time somebody moves out of a Walmart, you better take that thing down or the Firefly or some crook is going to be using that that empty building. Um, we're seeing the, the first – we've seen the first major cracks of Batman uh, throughout this series. But this is Batman that even telling Robin and Robin could see that – he he can't do this. He's verbally out loud now saying he's got to push through, and which is total contrast to everything that Bruce has told Tim his whole entire training, and almost to the point where he's saying, stay with the car. I'm going. I know I have to do this. And uh, Bruce says here, uh, you have to uh, – you barely escaped Killer Croc and uh, that monster Bane. Your luck can't hold up forever. And Tim's like, and you can. I think in a normal situation, if there wasn't fire in front of uh, Batman and Robin, uh, Tim might have got a what for or probably a backhand. But <laughs> yeah. that, uh, it, this was something that, as I was reading it even back then, and it still holds true now to going, I when it's not if Batman's luck is going to run out is when Batman's luck going to go out. You start thinking of things like is this Firefly guy, is he the one that's going to end Batman and Bane's not even going to get to him? Uh, I like how uh, Robin has to save Batman that he's in over his head and Robin has to, you know, shoot the bat line up. And it's a cool image on seven with Batman kind of gliding down uh, to Robin here. Um, 
and it, the the look that uh, uh, Graham Nolan draws in eight for Batman, where you could just see the sweat pouring down off of him and the heat from the fire, and you he's even putting out the exasperation that he that he can't make it and reluctantly gives the case over to Robin to be able to uh, you know pick up on the lead of Firefly because he Batman has somewhere else he has to go. Uh, what do you think about Batman's you know just kind of this is like the first like breakdown that he has in front of Robin, just the sheer exhaustion. And you would think as Robin of going, this is the guy that trained me. If if he's breaking down, am I supposed to be the one that's supposed to step up? Well, you know, I think this these few pages here is why I've, I feel like Tim Drake has regressed so much in the new 52 and in the video game. Because if you look, you know, Batman's doing his thing and telling him to stay in the car or stay out of this or, you know, for his own safety. And Tim is just going to argue with him logically, though. Like he's he's going to use his intelligence and just argue with him. He's not rude. He's not disrespectful. He's not like, oh, man, you don't, you know, he's right. not the whining like, you don't trust me. He doesn't like me. I'm going to go fight, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, like I'm going to go fight in the training simulator and throw a tantrum. <laughs> he's just like, no, I'm, I'm just going to keep. You know, logically telling you what I think, and then I'm going to come out. I'm going to be your backup, and then I'm going to tell you again what I think. You know, um, and it does. He doesn't have that whiny poutiness. He doesn't have that. Oh, I'm not good enough, and he doesn't have you know the brat or obnoxiousness. And so, I think that's what I really liked about Tim Drake in these issues, and what I I think is kind of unfortunately missing in it. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I always thought they did it really well here on how just building again and again how Batman is just to the point of exhaustion and that he is a just a man. He doesn't have superpowers from our, you know, son because of his Kryptonian DNA <laughs> right. or like that. And they just he just keeps pushing himself and pushing himself and pushing himself. So when he finally does have that confrontation with Bane, which oddly enough in both the books, Bane is not in it at all. He's barely even mentioned. Right. Um it's 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 believable. You can see, oh yeah, this this is how Batman could get beaten because he's not even at ten percent of his normal self. And I I would argue he's probably running on ten or twenty percent, but even his ten or twenty percent is probably greater than most people's, you know, five percent. <laughs> but and, it's and, it's killing him. And quite honestly, as a kid reading this and even now reading it, like this impresses me more. Like Batman walking into some warehouse and beating up 15 people and then walking out without a scratch. You're like, oh, that's cool. But but Batman like to the point of exhaustion and be like, no, I just got to keep going. I got to do it for Gotham. I, it's like, wow, because I'd go take a nap. You know. <laughs> yeah. like, so to me, even though he, he is he, – they're showing him so vulnerable and so weak at the same point, I think – at some point, I look at him and be like, he is so strong because of his will um, and his just perseverance. Um, we move into uh, Mr. Detweiler, attorney at law. If you've heard the radio drama uh, now, we've heard uh, what Scarface sounds like with the puppets and everything like that. Um, and you'll hear it again in this synopsis, or you've already heard it. Uh, what did you think of the nod of the 1966 with the puppet that is uh, Officer O'Hara? I love it. And uh, I can't believe O'Hara hasn't been brought back more often or in more ways yeah. considering the, the novelty. The only thing I always thought is I thought because 
I don't think he was in the comics. I mm-hmm. think he was just for the show that possibly – I know there's been a lot of legal ramifications and they couldn't even come out with collectibles until like a year ago or something. So he may have been off limits. Um, I know Batgirl originated in the show too, but there was something else. So I don't know. But I like it too how they're they're like – Dropping little hints here or page two of like the ventriloquist is still out there and a little behind the scenes of him getting ready and getting planned. But it's later to come instead of like one, you know, an issue of ventriloquist and two or three issues from now, um, you get a little like a little peek at how he gets ready and how he he builds, you know, um, up to when he finally has his, his issue. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, we get a shower scene with Bruce Wayne. I remember, yeah. re- I remember reading this, going, uh, "I don't know if I want to see any more of this." <laughs> yeah, but it's it's weird to know he just had the battle with Firefly, and that you know he's has to go home at some point. Firefly has gone, escaped, and uh, even you know Alfred and Bruce are still kind of I wouldn't say bickering. Uh, Alfred is getting more out of what Tim is trying to tell him and can say it in a way more than what Tim probably could and Bruce plays the whole you know I can't hear you while I'm in the shower when you know clearly they both can hear what the other one uh, is doing and I think this is the last rest that Batman will get before uh, Bane enters the picture again yeah it must be nice to have a manservant to you know <laughs> hold, hold the robe for you after yeah. a night of crime yeah <laughs> You know, I'll be there when you get out of the shower, when you get in the shower, and I don't know if I'd want to have that job. <laughs> yeah. I do like, though, how um, in this you, you find out that he sent Tim on a mission. And yeah. that's one of the things I, I thought was cool is that, um, you know, Bruce trusts Tim enough to give him assignments on his own and to go do them. Uh, this part is omitted from the radio drama, as far as I can remember, uh, Tim on his mission, which I thought was uh, a really cool point of the story. That uh, Tim goes back to the or he finds out the orphanage from where Linz and his sister lived, and I like the uh, computer paper <laughs> there yeah. in the top panel. Like I remember printing out, uh, trying to do homework on that paper and turning it in. The teacher going, "No, I won't accept that. It needs to be on, you know, the three ruled <laughs> paper." Uh, we always would color on that type of stuff, but uh, I, I tell you what, though those dot matrix printers that use the ribbon is yeah. a heck of a lot cheaper than uh, the amount of money I spend on ink for oh. my printer. I mean, it's ink; it costs more than diamonds. I think. Yeah, I know. I, I miss the ribbon. Yeah, the ribbon was the way of the future. I think we should go back to that. <laughs> yeah, um, I love uh, his uh, art in here. Um, I'm still marveling over Nolan's art. Uh, the the shades and the textures and the way that he's coloring uh, the nun that appears in here. Um, I kept thinking the nun was somebody else uh, the whole entire time that uh, Tim ends up finding uh, that gives, you know, a little bit more uh, clues to uh, Garfield and uh, his uh, sister. And she pulls the disappearing act and uh, Tim even makes mention that she could give Batman a lesson in, you know, dramatic uh, exits. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, maybe, the original thought was that they would do more with this nun and then they just never got to it or, or what. Cause it did seem like they were, I don't know, kind of making her a little more important than just someone to give information. Uh, but I do think it's kind of a cool little scene here with, with, uh, Tim and how he can, you know, get information from people by, you know, just talking to them. It doesn't have to beat everybody up. Um, I'm assuming that you picked up on Rush Limbaugh, 
here being on yeah. the talk show. And then is, later on, there's Sally Jesse Raphael. Raphael. Remember her? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Getting in, we have you know the Riddler here uh, writing his uh, note that eventually his uh, thugs uh, will be upset about. Who is the guy here that uh, Bullock pistol whips on page 16? Do you know who that is? Because his only real line is, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? And then Bullock you know, says nap time. Uh, has no shirt, but it looks like he has like the Spider-Man mask, basically, like tattooed on his forehead. Is this a villain that we're supposed to know or just some dude? I am shocked you don't know this because he plays a huge part in the Tim Drake story later on wow um so no i'm just kidding i was i gotta turn in my tim drake card right (laughs) now no i have no idea who this guy is and i looked up online at a couple like uh those you know comic book databases that give synopsis and the they either said um a arkham inmate or crazy arkham inmate or nobody had an like exact name so um if he is somebody specific i have no idea um it, the coloring, maybe it was supposed to be colored different so we'd know who it was. But, um, yeah, no, I have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> Whew, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> this is still Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, not Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, except for Rob Myers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it gets uh, made mention uh, in the next issue of, you know, the Riddler thinks the best way to get a, get his message out there is to send a note to the police force which would probably work in a normal circumstance, except all hell is broken loose and they don't really have the time to be reading, you know, fan mail at this point. So the Riddler's message does not get read in a timely manner. Um, you know, I completely forgot about that story beat, and I think it's hilarious. I love the idea that the Riddler would send all these messages and it would just get completely ignored. Like no one would even notice. I, I, that was that was brilliant. I mean, it wasn't like a major story point, but I love that 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 it would just sit there in a, a pile of mail and uh, that it'd have to go to extremes to um, get noticed. And then, you know, on the next page, page eighteen. There's um, the page where they're uh, at um, the sister's house and the coloring inside the house. I don't know if you remember this, but the, the first issue of Batman that came out after Jason's Todd de- Jason Todd's death was uh, Batman 430. And it's, it's a weird issue because it's like Batman and he's got like this really pink silhouette um of the now he he doesn't have a silhouette he's it's batman but the sky behind him is pink and it's a kind of a weird shade pink and it looks just like the inside of this um house and then the the blue of batman looks just like the police officers and i wonder if it's just a coincidence or if maybe it was kind of an homage to batman 430 huh i never noticed that before it's probably just a coincidence because they're limited color panels and stuff um but um, yeah, the art on that one was done by Aparo and DiCarlo. I don't know who the colorist was. I'll have to try to look that up and see if maybe it might have been the same colorist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, we have the Cavalier here, which I always thought was a, a cheesy, cheap villain. Um, I was probably more used in the you know 1950s, probably more when he was created, the 40s and 50s. But that, you know, Batman takes him out like, okay, I've got Firefly, you know, Killer Croc and Bane out here, and I got a guy that thinks he's Zorro. You know, it takes him out rather quickly and uh, kind of has, you know, a couple little things, you know, like, okay, 
Tim, can you tell me in a second what you found out? You know, I, I got to jump on this guy's throat and knock him out. Okay, now what? You know, takes him probably, probably the easiest takedown that he's done uh, in the Nightfall series. Yeah, you know, this kind of kind of uh, annoys me a little bit because right before this, um, the uh, Batman uh, Legends of the Dark Knight had come out with a three-issue series called Blades. Mm-hmm. Um, it was issue uh, 32, 33, and 34, and that it was one of my all-time favorite Batman uh, stories, and it was done by James Robinson, who became a very famous author but it was one of his first things and it was done by the art was by tim sale who has become huge but this was one of his very first art you know and i think it was his first batman um and it's all about the cavalier and it was like a re um, introduction of the cavalier and i loved it so then to see you know a couple months later the cavalier back in his 1965 kind of it was like "Eh, okay but it was quick it's one page um just to go back to something real quick the um colorists for batman uh 430 uh which i was talking about and this issue was the same colorist which i'm gonna mess up her first name but it's um is it and Andrina Roy or A D R I E N N E. How would you say that? Andrina. That that's how I. And, I okay. Said it. Yeah. According to this, it said she passed away in um, 2010. Uh, so I didn't know that, but I, I remember seeing her name on a lot of Batman titles. Yeah. I think a colorist could do a lot more issues per month than a, a penciler or an inker. Um, so same colorist. Uh, so maybe she just liked that or. Maybe it was an homage to herself <laughs> yeah. earlier. Yeah. Remember that thing that I did in one issue? I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do that thing again. And I'm the only one, and Terrence is ever going to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never even noticed it. I'd, I'm going to have to dig that out after the, the show's over and take a look at it. Uh, the issue ends here with uh, Batman arriving what was probably once an abandoned uh, theater, which is now a burnt-up, <laughs> majestic yeah. uh a furniture store, and uh, this is this was one of those like '66 Batman TV serial endings. Like, how's Batman going to get out of this one? He leaps for Firefly, grabs him, and falls into the fire. And then I, yeah, I'll cue in the sound. Tune in next time, same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, in there, uh, we end up skipping the issue where Batman gets out of it. Of course, we know he gets out of it. That's in Batman. 495, if you want to read that, uh, go ahead and check that out. It's not real Tim Drake heavy. It's a Poison Ivy issue. Uh, did you have anything quick to say on the Poison Ivy issue? I, I didn't read it in preparation for this, but I did yeah. thumb through it. I thought it was kind of like, okay, there's Poison Ivy. She, I thought she felt out of place in the story. Like, we got to have Poison Ivy, and I don't think she needed a whole issue dedicated to herself, but that's me. I actually didn't, didn't even read it. Um for this so I, I couldn't even comment on it. I would say though at the very end of the issue, there's like this Batman with this um really, really elongated cape yeah. with the to be continued. And I love that. Uh th- they used to have that a lot more and I, I like those little touches. I wish they'd go back to that. I know it's like silly and just a, a little thing, but I kinda like that. Yeah. And I think that's really the only time that that type of thing is done in this series. Like you said, that was something that was kind of a staple. You would have Batman or Robin or Superman flying along the bottom part of the panel, and it'd be written on his arm or on the back of his cape like it is for Super, or for Batman here. I, I like that type of stuff. Uh, we jump into Detective Comics 662 for our last issue today, and this is where Terrence and I were talking about the Riddler. 
and his goons just like we're tired of you know you having to write these silly riddles down we could go rob a place right now and what a better time the whole entire city is engulfed in the Arkham breakout. They could go steal just about anything they want, and the Riddler's like, nope, this is what we're going to do, and the guys, you know, chase him off, which I kind of thought was a little, you know, comical in here, that the villain is getting chased off by his own thugs, and then he runs into the uh, TVs, and then that's his idea of, like, ah, I know how I can get a hold of people. I, did you like that little sequence with the Riddler? I do, and you can say what you want about Chuck Dixon. I like Chuck Dixon's writing a lot. He he knows how to open a, a comic book. He knows how to hook you right from the yep. start. All yeah, and I remember reading something with him, and he said, "I always start off with action." And so having the Riddler standing there, and then having these guns pointed at him, is such a, a great way to um, to open it. And then I have a question for you: His arm, or Riddler's arm, is in a sling. Is that from something that's happened recently, or was that from the pre-Nightfall issues where he got injected with venom and was fighting? Um, Batman. Yes, it, it is from the pre-fall nightfall issue um, where the GCPD opened fire on him and he, I think, took a couple rounds into the shoulder and the arm. So that is a direct result from that having happened in Batman 491. I think that's what that was. Okay, I remember we did that issue on the podcast. Yeah, and, I yeah. think I have it here in front of me and I don't want to Waste a lot of time. I'll probably put an editorial in there. Yeah, I believe that's where it is. I think I've put that one away. Yeah, I'm I'm almost positive that's that's what that one is. So I thought that was a a cool little callback. So knock on wood that I'm correct in saying that. But I I imagine with Chuck Dixon that I I'm almost positive he wrote that issue as well, or you know oversaw that. Or if nothing else, that just shows you how good. Dixon is to know, oh, hey, they did this thing to the Riddler in another issue, so I need to call back on that. Uh, we see a Tim training down the Batcave, and I I always like that. I know Batman always did a lot of training, but you could still see that Tim is still lifting weights and still you know prepping himself and probably doing more so just because of the way Batman has, has been handling himself uh, here, and he's kind of doing some extra you know recon work. Uh, for Batman, and I like it. a few pages after Batman uh, gets into the zoo that Tim is sitting in front of the very big, you know, Bat computer TV and is hurriedly changing the channels. And I like the little dialogue between uh, Tim and Alfred, where you know Alfred says, you know, how could you possibly uh, watch anything for more than thirty seconds? And Tim's like, well, don't you do this? And Alfred's like, no, I need to watch something longer for more than three seconds to figure out what it is. Which I was like. When I read it back in the 90s, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how I watch TV. I think I still (laughs) watch TV that way. My wife's like, how did you even know what was on the channel? And I'm like, I could tell. She's like, you cannot. (laughs) Yeah. I I think when I read this, too, I had that daydream like, wow, imagine having that huge TV in your basement, you know. (laughs) Um, And you know what's odd about this? Or not odd, but um, I think, you know, as much as we love Batman and Robin and it's Batman and Robin, almost some of the most – uh, the the best Robin scenes and the best Robin interactions, whether it's Tim Drake or Damian Wayne or even Jason Todd, are Robin and Alfred. And you know, it's yeah. like they both have that common thing of Batman, and it's it's almost like um, 
somehow generations don't get along, but if you skip a generation, it's almost like a lot of people get along a lot better with their grandparents or their grandfather than their father or their parents because there's like this generation, you know, uh, thing, but it somehow two generations, it balances back or you, you have that common thing of like, oh, yeah, my mom's driving me crazy, but, you know, your, your grandma's like, oh, yeah, she drove me crazy too when she was a kid or, you know, it, it's just something – Something that happens, and and um, you know, I, my favorite Damian Wayne scenes were with him and Pennyworth, as he yeah. called them. And so I, I always liked the the Tim and Alfred um, scenes as well. Yeah, they both, like you said, they both had that commonality of Bruce being the thing that is like the sandpaper that they're both trying to work on. They're both seeing it from different angles, but it's the the subject matter where. Alfred is still doing the pat on the shoulder, like, I, I know it's rough out there, but we need to listen to Master Bruce. I can empathize with all of the Robins. And then, you know, like you said about Damien calling him Pennyworth all the time, it, it was more of like the roles got reversed where Damien's the thing that they're, you know, talking about, and it's Dick and Alfred, you know, kind of pairing back up, which I know I we just jumped you know, 20 years in story there, but I, <laughs> yeah. I like Al- Alfred kind of, you know, sides himself uh, with the uh, Robins generally. Uh, we have the Riddler here on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, which I thought was uh, hysterical. And uh, this part is in the radio drama. I did like this uh, as well. And uh, I like how uh, Graham Nolan, you know, not calling them, you know, Rush Limbaugh and Sally Jesse Raphael and Larry King, but is definitely drawing them to, you know, give us the reader like, okay, this is who we're modeling this person after, and it's basically that. So, I always like that. It does kind of date the book, where somebody who could be 15 or 16 now reading this for the first time probably wouldn't get that. But uh, uh, if you were a child of the 90s, you would get a lot of those references. But at the same time, I don't think it dates it as far as a storytelling uh, device. It doesn't. It's not like Justin Bieber is going to be in this issue and 20 years you read it and go, Oh, that's Justin Bieber. Boy, that was so 2015. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. If somebody picking this book up today would just think it was a woman with glasses. They'd have no idea. Um, I do also like Graham Nolan. He draws a lot of animals in this book. Yeah. Like he, he must, I wonder if he was like, when he got it, the script was like, Oh man, this is going to be hard. It was like, finally, you know, I get to, he draws a giraffe. He draws a bat, a couple bats in the bat cave. He's got uh, a couple monkeys, a lion, uh, the uh, the pumas or the, whatever these big cats yeah. are that attack Batman. Not to jump ahead, some alligators towards the end. So you know, and he, he does them all really well. Like I was not like, oh, that's that doesn't look like a monkey. Um, so uh, yeah, he's, he's very versatile. Yeah, I like that. I'm gonna take that soundbite for something. That doesn't look like a monkey. <laughs> that doesn't look like a monkey. It's like in the uh, the old Justice League cartoon. Um, there was one with uh, Lex Luthor where he meets Gorilla Grodd, and he's like, "Monkey, I like your style." And I say that all the time. No one knows what the hell I'm talking about, and I'm always like, "Monkey, I like your style." That is great. Uh, <laughs> he also had to totally get it off track here. I think my favorite moment ever in any animated DC comics was when flash and lex luther switch bodies and lex luther goes into the bathroom and looks in the mirror and he's like i can finally know who the flash is and he takes off the mask and looks and goes i have no idea who this guy is <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was so funny that's great um i used to do that 
and with yeah, not trade places, but when we do like dress up for Halloween or something like that, and I'd stand in front of the mirror and take the ma- take my mask off for glasses that I have, and I'd always look in the mirror and go, I have no idea who this guy is. And the <laughs> girlfriend, whoever who I had at the time, would be like, oh, I, What is that? Was that one of your cartoon shows you're watching? I'm like, Shut up, shut up. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. My um, kids also love the Gorilla Garage moment in. Uh, Batman Brave and the Bold when he had the same utility belt as Batman yeah. <laughs> and his henchmen are like he's like no no I've always had this belt I've always had it. oh that's hilarious yeah if this could turn into a uh, a flash podcast really fast but I always loved Gorilla Grodd I, I always yeah. somehow wanted to have the Flash and Batman team up and they were both like the Flash would be fighting the Joker and Batman would be fighting Gorilla Grodd I think that only ever happens in something like in the Justice League but I always thought Gorilla Grodd could come off had the potential of coming off very cheesy, but I always think worked out really pretty cool in the hands of a really good writer. Yeah, and the way they used him in the um, uh, TV show is really good, too. Yeah. Okay, we'll go back to Gotham City. Uh, page, yeah. <laughs> page nine. Uh, this is my favorite uh, panel out of the book. Um, it's very reminiscent. It's probably done on purpose of the Batman logo where Batman's whipping the, his cape around. Uh, to block Firefly's uh, blast there, where you just see the silhouette, not the silhouette, but the outline of Batman's mask, and you can see his eyes, and you could just imagine where the fire is, the word Batman going across there. So I believe that's probably done on purpose, but I think that's just a really cool shot of Batman. I always liked it where you couldn't see his mouth because it was hidden in shadows, but the his piercing white eyes, I always, I always loved that about the character, and that shot's just really, really cool. Yeah, with Batman... In the art, it's always the less you see of him, the better it is. Um, I, I remember this one issue of um, it was when they had that series, the 50, uh, 52, and then they had a tie in, which was I love 52, but the tie in was terrible. It was called like the Four Horsemen or something like that. Or, oh, and yeah. it had Batman just like standing in like broad daylight, and he just looked stupid. He looked ridiculous with his blue underwear, and <laughs> it, you know. But then when you when you have stuff like this where you just see him in the shadow and you just see bits and pieces of him, it works so much better. So with Batman, always less is more. And in the end, this these panels here, you don't see all of them, but it, it works so good. Uh, we'll kind of move through uh, the middle of this. Uh, we've got the Riddler holding up a TV uh, station hostage, and the police are kind of there, and everybody's kind of waiting to see what happens. And, of course, Robin ends up making it to the uh, TV station, and we have the Riddler's thugs uh, getting ready to knock over the U.S. post office. So I'm I'm thinking the post office doesn't have money, so what are they trying to get out of the vault that they're going to have to blow off the hinges and why does the post office need a vault with hinges? <laughs> yeah. And I read that a couple times, and I it's not mentioned in this issue, I don't think, at all. Um, On page 13, when they're getting into oh, the vault, he does say, that's right. uh, blank money orders, stamps, cash, got to be at least a mill in there, huh? I don't know if a post office has that much on hand. Yeah, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm sure they've got some stamps. These thugs are like, we'll never have to pay for mailing a letter again. <laughs> this is brilliant. Think yeah. of all the ransom notes we can send for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Batman fighting the animals in here. Uh, uh, the panther's always been one of my favorite animals. Anytime we go to a zoo, if we go to a zoo that has a puma or a panther, um, I always really kind of liked and the Black Panther was one of my favorite um, Marvel characters. Sorry to mention the other franchise, uh, but I always liked the Black Panther. 
Um, and then we have Batman. Uh, hey, Fire- can I? Yeah, go ahead. Before you go on, two things. One, from a couple pages back and even here, I thought they've got Batman's internal dialogue really well. Oh, yeah. And, and part of it, he's got to kind of tell the story a little bit and give a little more detail, which I get that. But they don't overdo that. And just sort of his determination where he keeps like, you know, I, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but like I have no more strength, but I have to keep going kind of is is really good. And then on page 16, he has this. It's like um, I'm just going to read it because it's so awesome. He's like, add to that exhaustion and injuries. And I'm not exactly at the top of my form. Stop complaining. Keep moving. Your problems don't matter. You don't matter. Only Gotham matters. And I can hear like Kevin Conroy's voice saying that yeah. like it's really good and it's not overdone. It's you know, if I counted up the words, there's got to be less than 30 words there on that page. But it, once again, less is more. It was really good. And I like the very end on page 17. I couldn't pull him up if I wanted to, to question him about Bane. Too tired. Just don't have anything left. And I remember reading that way back then and even now to go, Batman doesn't have anything left and he is still nowhere near being done yet. You know, like for for Batman to finally come with terms and even though he's not saying it out loud, he's saying it to himself, that had me going, well, what are you going to do when the Joker shows up. You know, if you don't have anything left now for the Firefly, imagine the Joker standing in front of Batman, which uh, we won't cover it, but he goes totally ballistic on the Joker, which is a really cool moment. Uh, we have Robin on 16, or on 18 and 19, finally catching uh, the Riddler using the epoxy, and Bullock just kind of rips him a new one uh, for doing it. And even though Tim is trained by Batman, uh, Bullock's kind of giving him, you know, the what for of going, you know, if your mentor was here, he'd have told you this was, you know, poor too. And then when uh, Montoya basically tells him that it's just like road flares, which makes me think of Tommy Boy. <laughs> you know, obviously these are just road flares, you know, that I wanted to go, did Tim know that going in there or was it dumb luck on Tim's part that these happened to be road flares? But I, I took it more from Tim, like he's trained, he knew exactly what to do. He's not overstepping his bounds. He wasn't putting anyone at risk, but Bullock kind of makes Tim feel that way. Yeah, you know, I, I like this. It shows you what they're doing with Tim Drake because, you know, 15 years earlier, Robin would have come in here, stumbled, been kidnapped as well, and Batman would have had to save him and everyone else too, you know. And here, Tim solves everything and, and, and defeats the Riddler without Batman's help at all. My guess is that he did not know they were fake or he wouldn't have sprayed that foam on him. He would have just, you know, walked up and punched him or something like right. that. Um, and I like how Bullock starts chewing him out and Tim just, just leaves. He just disappears. <laughs> like, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to say anything. I, I know this fat guy's wrong. I'm out of here. Like, you yeah. know, and there's no panel of like, gee, maybe Bullock was right. Maybe, I, no, it's just like, eh, forget him. Go eat a donut. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, so I really like that, uh, the way Tim handled that whole situation. And I like the contrast between uh, the previous page where Batman is spent and Tim is very much at the top of his game. They've almost switched places, not in experience, but just in Tim is running at a finely tuned, like a finely tuned machine. He took down the Riddler with very little effort at all. And Batman is exhausting every last ounce of strength to take out the Firefly. And I, I liked that. Uh, the odd thing in this issue, and I believe this is her only appearance in the ish, or in the series, the Huntress comes in and takes out the thugs that were robbing the 
um, post office. And uh, I started going back through issues like, did she come just completely out of the blue here? So apparently she did, because I don't think she has another uh, return appearance at all. So the last time we saw her was in Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress. Yeah, it does seem a little strange that she's here. And I thought it was um, setting her up for something in the future, you know, like put her in here now and set her up. But um, I haven't gone back to look. I can't I can't think of her being in Nightfall, any other uh, place. So um, maybe I, I have to look. Maybe she had a uh, miniseries or a uh, something coming out, too, around that time that they threw her in here. But, yeah, she does feel kind of forced in here. Um, the last page is something you wouldn't have normally seen um, in a Batman comic where Batman saves the day and then goes off around the corner and is doing the whole, like, <sighs> can't catch his breath and is just totally spent. You know, random monkey comes up beside Batman here. And like you said, the dialogue that's in here where it's kind of the recap of Eight Down, a Firefly, Zaz, Film Freak, The Mad Hatter, Cavalier, Amygdala, um, Streak, Poison Ivy. Uh, most second stringers, and they nearly took me out. Uh, the really dangerous ones are still on the loose, or still on the streets. Scarecrow and the Riddler, and now I can't even stand against them. I can't even stand up. And how will I stand between Gotham and Bane? I just thought that was a really good way to end uh, the particular uh, issue. Uh, what'd you think of the two issues? Yeah, you know, I thought they were great. I, you know, um, and I was surprised at just how well they held up. You know, as I said earlier, in all aspects, um, and uh, I also enjoyed at the very end looking at the uh, the letters. I remember reading the letters. It's funny with the internet how people can. Everyone's <laughs> like, I think you put something up about Supergirl. Like, you know, don't spoil it right away. Like, you know, we have to wait. We just have to wait. You know, a couple months for feedback from people to <laughs> right. see. Do people like this? And there's this one person, Bradley Malcolm from East Point, Michigan, who wrote all this whole thing about like not really liking Tim. And then this other person, Lee Thompson, who wrote this whole thing, No More 1-900-Kill-Your-Partner Hotline, <laughs> yeah. really liked Tim. Um, but it seems overall that people you know, in the columns and stuff did like Tim and that Tim was – you could see his fan base kind of growing. But then you know, I always wondered – how selective they were with which letters got in there and, you know, that sort of thing as well. So, um, There was one in here uh, from Brian uh, Gratidate, I think is how you say his name. Uh, he's from Massachusetts. So just got done reading Robin 3. It was the best. I think Robin should have his own comic. Tim Drake is Robin as one of the greatest heroes. I have a suggestion for comic. Robin should face King Snake uh, one last time. Uh, I have a question. Is he going to join the Teen Titans? And they kind of write here, you know, uh, he's awful busy right now. Um, uh, which should he join, the Teen Titans or the New Titans? Hmm, you know. And little, you know, little do we know that Tim's going to branch out on his own and do neither right away, and he'll be in his own uh, series. And uh, I'm just doing a little uh, Tim Drake-style computer research. I've hacked into several databases. Not really. Uh, and Using and, a phone modem, right? Yes, yeah. That, that was that whole <laughs> do-do-do-do. And so my dot matrix printer right here will be a little loud in the background. But um, from what I've seen here, Huntress um, – Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress would have – the final issue would have come out in March of 93. And this came out in June of 93. So it's only a couple of months from that series. And then they had a um, 
a book called Showcase ninety three, okay, which had a Nightfall tie in. Um, issue seven and eight were Nightfall tie ins, and issue nine featured and nine and ten actually featured the Huntress. Wow! So um, I don't think she had a mini series or anything, but that's why she may have made an appearance in this um, series just to um, I don't know, just keep her keep her out there in the the um, minds of the fans. But it looks like. Parts 13 uh, was showcase and part uh, – let's see what this one comes up. Sorry. Um, part 14. So 13 and 14 of Nightfall actually take place in the showcase series, and it looks like it's a um, two-face tie-in. Gotcha. And showcase was one of those weird – I don't know if you had any of them. I picked, uh, up, I picked them up for the Nightfall and then just a couple every now and then. Yeah, it was one of those things where they had like three stories mm-hmm. in each issue, but each story was a continuation. So you got like eight pages of a story and you had to read, you know, like four issues to get the whole story. And it always seemed a little disjointed. But I learned later on um, that Showcase and those like eight pages and stuff were used a lot for um, to test out writers and to test out artists. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of... Uh, like really good artists who made names for themselves, like their first work or their first DC work can be found in like these obscure <laughs> showcases doing like a, uh, you know, a blue devil uh, story or something like that. Um, I think uh, that I'm going to edit that out. I don't know what the heck I was going to say right there. But yeah. I, I, I always liked those. I should say I always liked those. I liked them more when they tied in. And when I picked up a random one, like, Oh, I like the one that tied in a nightfall. I'm going to pick up the next one. At, I always seem to get like the Booster Gold story or you know the Vibe story. Somebody was like, oh, uh, I, I guess it was all right, or maybe I got a glimpse of like, oh, I like Kyle Rayner Green Lantern, and it was only like five pages of a story. Then two other characters I really didn't care about, so I didn't gravitate toward them uh, very much. Yeah, and I always felt you know just the it's very hard to write a good story that's short in comics. Um, it can be done, and there are a few, but yeah. most of the time they're they're pretty bad uh that is pretty much going to wrap it up for this issue um issue this episode see it's so easy to say issue and episode all the time uh we're gonna yeah take... i'll do that when we're watching sorry to interrupt <laughs> no. you or we'll be watching a tv show or something like hey you want to watch the next issue and they're like what are you talking about yeah <laughs> Um, we're going to take another jump uh, in the series the next time we come back, and it's going to be the jump. It's going to be Batman 497 and Detective Comics 664, parts 11 and part 12. And if you're anybody familiar with the Batman story, it is the moment in the Nightfall series of Batman getting his back broken. Uh, we're going to skip over the Mayor Kroll and the uh, Riddler and Scarecrow confrontation that Batman have and Batman getting washed through the sewer. Uh, we may make reference in it. Um, Jason Todd comes back up in that issue, which I think was a pretty cool moment. But like I said, I wanted to kind of uh, jump us uh, closer to the Robin ongoing series, and this is definitely going to be uh, the first major launching point uh, for that. So I haven't read uh, those two issues uh, in a very long time, so it'll be kind of interesting. And uh, I'll kind of spring this on Terrence here right now. There's somebody from our previous podcast that has said, hey, when you get to this point in the podcast, I would love to come on. So Tim from the Bat Fans, um, I'm going to kind of reach out to him, and maybe we'll be a trio in the next um, 
episode if if it works out that way. Yeah, that'll be cool. We'll, we'll have to uh, uh, like uh, set some time aside to talk to him about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been listening to his podcast about his review. Luckily, he liked it. I think as much as we did. So yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, that that one could turn into a two parter. Uh, I know Terrence and I are trying to uh, do a little more uh, smaller, concise episodes, but I think getting Tim on, I may have to record it in two chunks. Like, okay, here is the nightfall part, and then if you want to tune in for the rest of it, uh, the last hour and a half is going to be all Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. I think the three of us will be the first time to get a chance to talk to it. Uh, so uh, we should um, we should play like a practical joke on him and just both act like we hate the movie. Oh, and just you know whatever he said it was terrible it was so bad and the characters were you know so transparent and star trek is so much better yeah I, like dude i felt like i was just watching a new hope over and over again yeah i mean it was everything was just so obvious the the effects weren't very good <laughs> you know He'd hang up the call right there and then. Yeah. I mean, it was all right. It wasn't, it was no Matrix reloaded, reloaded though. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Let yeah. me tell you. Uh, it was no prequels. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terrence, thanks for uh, doing this episode. I hope you have a uh, happy and safe new year. Um, you'll probably be like me. We'll go out to, at least for us, we'll go out to some friends for a little bit and come back home and watch the ball drop safely in our house. So, uh, those of you out there, uh, in New Year's, hopefully the time you listen to this, it'll be gone, but I hope you had a safe uh, 2016, and uh, we're going to be moving forward into the Robin series and finally getting to uh, Tim's proper Robin ongoing series. On the behalf of Terrence, this has been Rob, and thanks for tuning into the Batman universe and listening to Robin. Everyone loves a Drake. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.